This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, my name is Annie Grace, and I am the author of This Naked Mind. And today I wanted to really answer a question that I get a lot, and that is, how can I help? And I get this question from people who write in who may have partners or spouses or parents or children or loved ones or friends or family in any of our coaching programs or in any of our programs. And they just want to know, how can they help? How can they be there for the person that they love? And how can they understand, you know, more importantly? Because the truth is, when you're on the outside looking in and looking at somebody who seems to be doing something they no longer want to be doing, it is very hard to make sense of. I remember my husband would be like, what's the big deal? Why can't you just not drink if you don't want to drink? Or why can't you just stop after one if you want to stop after one? Or why are you so grumpy on the nights where you have to be the designated driver? You guilt trip me into driving all the time. Why can't I have a fun night out? And it was just this like lack of understanding because in his experience, alcohol was very different for him. It, it was a very different relationship. And we'd often um, debate about this idea of the addictive personality. And in my work, I actually kind of deconstruct the idea of an addictive personality because the addictive personality does a few things. Number one, it's been kind of scientifically abandoned. Uh, number two, the aspects that go into somebody becoming addicted, those personality traits, yes, there are some, but they're also really amazing things like people who want to try new experiences or who have like a zest for life or who are super curious or, you know, it can be really positive too. So the whole packaging it together in this addictive personality can be very um, almost shaming and limiting for somebody who feels like, okay, well, if I have an addictive personality, then I'm just stuck. And the truth is nobody is ever just stuck. And so addictive personality aside, I really wanted to give some insight into what might be happening with your loved one and why it might be so illogical from your perspective. You're looking at someone who you love more than anything and you know that they want to make a change or maybe they don't even know yet that they want to make a change, but you can see how much drinking is costing them. And you're like, why, 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 why? How does this make sense? What is going on here? I don't get it. And then if you happen to have joined one of um, my best, most effective programs, if your loved one is in it, called the intensive, you don't get it even more because in the intensive, we do something radical and we don't ask them to stop drinking right away. And so I'm going to explain exactly why that is. But here's the thing is that what is happening inside their brain around alcohol is very different and it changes and it can change for any human being at any time. It's not just a subset of people that are alcoholics. In fact, the entire term alcoholic is not really scientific or medically based. It is actually just human beings and they've proven this with other organisms, you know, with rats or with mice. If you force feed mice, you have to force feed it to them because they wouldn't drink alcohol normally on their own because their instincts would tell them, no, no, don't do that. But if you force feed it to them, they will all get addicted. And here is, you know, what's really interesting. The rate of addiction with alcohol for people can be so vastly different based on a whole myriad of things, based on Obviously, there's some genetic components, but even more importantly, there's a lot of psychological components. And because that's what we can control, that's where I want to kind of focus our attention. So I'm going to go a little bit sciencey on you, and then I'm going to explain why in 
our approach, we actually do what's called the pause. So the method that I use, I've called it PATH, and it goes for um, pause, act, transform, and hone. And so pause is really the first thing, and that's where I say stop. Get off the cycle you've been on. Because the truth is when somebody is trying to change their drinking, most likely they're in a really painful cycle. And the cycle looks something like this. Okay, wake up in the middle of the night, absolutely racked with anxiety. Can't believe that I broke the promise either to myself or to someone else that I drank too much. There's probably tears. There's a lot of self-loathing. There's a lot of self-hatred. There's tons of anxiety. I'm going to do better tomorrow. And just if I can literally shame, hate, beat myself up enough, if I can see the horror of how far I've fallen into this trap, into this misery, then I'm going to be able to change. So at least for me, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just use it as this intense time to just beat myself up. And then the next morning, I would wake up and I'd have the best intentions and then four or five o'clock would come and all of a sudden I would start to crave alcohol. And cravings, and I'm gonna to explain to you exactly why for somebody who has become at least even a little bit physically, but definitely psychologically, mentally, emotionally addicted to alcohol, cravings begin to feel almost like a life or death situation. They feel so intense, they feel so brutal and painful, and you just need to make it go away that you end up having a drink. Because here's the thing, you're on this one side and the noise of this craving is like, overpowering. Like, I'm not even going to be okay. I'm not going to be able to relax. I'm not going to be able to enjoy anything. It's a very intense craving. This is the answer, right? And a lot of it is subconscious, but you just feel this desperate desire for a drink. And then you drink, and on the other side, you're like, oh, no, this is worse. I didn't want to do this. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't doing what it, I thought it was going to do. What is going on? And so from the outside, it seems so illogical because you watch somebody, somebody say they don't want something and then they do it anyway. And then they're mad at themselves about it. And you're like, this is crazy. This is literally crazy. So I want to explain to you exactly why that happens and why in my approach, I have people actually pause and get out of that cycle because that cycle of doing something you don't want to do, it creates something internally that tears you up. It creates an internal war. It creates something called cognitive dissonance. So doing something, promising yourself, I'm not going to do it. I mean, I'd make all sorts of promises. I'm not going to drink until the weekend and then I break that. Or I'm only going to have two glasses of wine and then I break that. Or I'm only going to drink, you know, uh, after 5 p.m. and then I'd break that and on and on and on and all of these things. And so my level of confidence in myself or even my own ability to make a change was shot. I didn't feel any confidence in myself. And the truth is for somebody to be able to change, they have to believe they can. They have to believe there's hope. And this cycle of making promises and trying to change and not being successful has stolen your loved one's ability to believe that change is even possible. And so they are stuck in this place of wanting to change, but not even feeling like it's possible to change. There's so much science that has been done when people don't even believe they can do something, they won't even try because the brain will say, what is the point? And so because of that deep pain of doing something they don't want to be doing, guess how they've been conditioned their entire life to handle pain by picking up a drink. And so you can see how it really does feel like being trapped.
And no, they're not going to tell you this outwardly. They're not going to tell you, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm trapped. You know why? Because they want desperately not to be trapped. And they're trying even to fool themselves into not being trapped. I was so trying to desperately say, no, I've got this. I'm in control. When the reality is the only time I would admit to myself that I wasn't in control was at three o'clock in the morning when I'd wake up and I'd realize, oh my gosh, I wanted to have a glass of wine and I had six, or I didn't even want to drink and I can't even count how much I drank. And I just had this anxiety flooding through me. So this is what happens in the brain. And this is what happens and why it doesn't happen to everyone. Now, there's a lot more science that goes into this. I'm going to try to simplify it as much as possible. Um, and there's a lot of stuff, to be really honest with you, that I, no one knows about addiction. We're learning all the time. So, but I want to make this as simple as possible from what we do know and understand as of this moment. So you have something in your body um, that is, you know, your survival mechanisms, right? And so one of these things is dopamine. And we're going to focus on dopamine because it's just so easy to understand and most people know what it is. And dopamine is the chemical that gets released when your brain says, oh, that thing you just did, do that thing again. So if you were out in the woods and you were finding raspberries and you were a caveman back in the day and you saw raspberries and you found them, you'd have a dopamine spike. You'd be like, oh my gosh, that thing you just did, do that again. So obviously things like good food spike dopamine, um, sex spikes dopamine, target practice spikes dopamine. That's why first first-person shooter games, video games are so incredibly addictive. For this reason that I'm explaining is that these things spike dopamine. So we're all, you know, good food spikes dopamine or raspberry spike dopamine, artificial sugar, high fructose corn syrup spikes dopamine at an artificially high level, artificial being man-made, levels in the brain that is not normal for just what has been created outside of what man has created, right? Alcohol and any addictive substance spikes dopamine at this artificially high level. The problem with this is that the brain wants to maintain homeostasis, so it wants to turn that down. But when you're in moments of extreme stress and you have this artificial stimulation of dopamine, there's another whole thing that's happening, right? So you have an artificial stimulation of dopamine. The brain wants to turn it down. What happens when the brain turns it down is the brain releases something called dynorphin. It actually releases Kreb, Kreb creates dynorphin, and that turns down pleasure in the brain. That's tolerance. That's why somebody needs more and more alcohol to get the same effect over time. We know this, this makes sense to us, right? What we don't understand and what's not crystal clear is that that turning down of the pleasure turns down pleasure across all things, okay? And so the things that used to be fun for somebody who was not regularly drinking or regularly drinking large amounts no longer are fun. They are no longer enjoyable. All of a sudden, the brain very quickly learns that alcohol is the only thing that is making things fun. And this becomes actually true because the dynorphin takes longer to leave the body than the alcohol does. So even if you wake up the next morning and you maybe go like do something, you're not having as much fun because that dynorphin is ever present. There's also huge just mental associations with, that you've built up over time where drinking is fun and it's not necessarily that alcohol is fun but not drinking is not fun. So all of a sudden you're in this situation where your brain really truly learns with dopamine which is a learning molecule that teaches us how to survive, it learns that alcohol is key to fun, all right? Now, that isn't actually where the true trap starts. It's where it starts, but it's not where really the plot thickens. The plot thickens when somebody starts to drink for stress. And for me, it was after the birth of my second son. I had really intense postpartum depression, and I started to drink for stress. 
And here's what happens. You have what's called a hedonic threshold. That means, you know, normally you're naturally going through the day and your mood is up and down and up and down. Your ability to experience pleasure is up and down and up and down. And so it can elevate completely based on, you know, situations that are happening in your life. Now, if you're in a really stressed out period, your entire hedonic threshold goes up and down at a higher or lower rate, right? And so imagine like you have a fever and so now your temperature is still going up and down, but it's going up and down right around 100 to 101 instead of 98.6 to, you know, just around there. So it's like still, everything's always still fluctuating, but now it's fluctuating at a different level. So when you're really, really stressed, your entire hedonic threshold, your, your happiness and your experience of joy and your experience of just feeling okay, go up and down, but they go up and down on a different level. What that means is that normal things that used to bring you pleasure cannot break through. So the things you used to do to relieve stress, maybe take a walk, read a book, have a bath, have a cup of tea, who knows, they don't, they don't work. And the body, obviously, stress is one of the most toxic things. I mean, it is, is really intense. And so the body says, oh my gosh, we need something. And if you've been a regular drinker, alcohol does one thing well, and that's numb the brain. It numbs it. It makes it slower. Thoughts slow down. Your brain slows down. It numbs it to the point, and it slows it down enough to the point where eventually, if you drink enough, you become completely unconscious. And so alcohol, by numbing the brain and immediately relieving those feelings of stress, combined with what we talked about before, artificially stimulating the pleasure center of the brain, including a dopamine release, these two things combine to tell your brain, oh my gosh, this thing you just drank is the solution. The problem is it tells your brain, this thing you just drank is the solution on a visceral survival level. The brain learns that alcohol is the solution on a level that is like akin to food and water. They have done experiments with mice when they're addicted to a substance and they've put like a electric metal grate in between the mouse and the substance. And the mouse will walk over, scald and burn and blister its paws in order to get to the substance. The mouse will ignore food, it will ignore water, it will even ignore its young when it's addicted in order to get to the substance. Now, it's illogical when you're seeing this from the outside because it is illogical because the brain has just, it's created an error because nothing in its experience was as addictive as the addictive things we have now. You know, shooting <laughs> a bow and arrow provided dopamine and stimulation, but not like the first person shooter game where you can shoot hundreds, if not thousands of things every few minutes, right? That level of dopamine is incredibly addictive. Sugar, raspberries, strawberries, naturally occurring sugar provided this dopamine release in the brain, but not at the level of high fructose corn syrup. You know, alcohol provides this artificially high dopamine release, and this is true for all addictive drugs. And that's combined with the fact that it numbs us, so it makes us feel in the moment like it's relieving our stress. And our brain learns, oh my gosh, I have two options, stress and all the nastiness that comes out with this, or this drink, which they don't perceive as bad, and by the way, society has not said is bad. And so the brain says, I'm going to take that. And so the experience will start to make sense now why I would wake up at three in the morning, hate myself, not understand why I was doing what I was doing. And then by four or 5 p.m., when the evening started to get stressful, the kids needed dinner, everything was going on, I was finished with work, it was an intense day, all of a sudden, the need and desire for a drink was not just a want. It had become a literal survival mechanism in my brain. 
Now you can get out of this by understanding it, by learning it. That's what this Naked Mind is all about. It's empowerment through science-based education. Learn these things, deconstruct this. We are human beings. We don't have to fall into traps because we can understand them and then we can free ourselves and step around them in the future. And learning it doesn't even mean that someone necessarily has to quit drinking forever. It just means that you have to become really aware of why you're drinking and when. And that's why in a program like the intensive, which is our 12 week life coaching program, we literally say pots, I want you to stop and get off this crazy cycle of trying to not drink and beating yourself up. And I want you to just become really mindful of all the reasons you do and learn all of this stuff so that actually by the time that people are ready to take a break, they want to. Because here's the truth about human beings is at the end of the day, all of this science, all of this brain science, these chemicals, these neurological things, they can be overridden by human mind, the prefrontal cortex, understanding and desiring a different outcome. But we have to want it and we have to know that it's possible. And when we're stuck in that cycle of every single day trying something and it not being successful, we lose our faith in ourselves that it's even possible to change. And so my heart completely goes out to you. If you have somebody who you feel like is drinking too much, who is struggling with this, I just want to let you know that number one, it's, it's, really how the brain is doing what it was supposed to do. It's just doing what it's supposed to do with the wrong stuff. Number two, their intentions are not bad. They were doing the best they could with the tools they had. If there were someone like me who was a young mom drinking for stress, it was the tool that was given me. I mean, literally the hospital mom's group is like, all right, it's all intense. Let's all go out for some wine. It is given to us in society, do this for stress. I didn't know that that would mean that alcohol in my body would become such an intense craving and trigger because of how the brain works. But people who are doing this, like, here's the truth. They don't want to mess up their lives. They don't want to mess up your life. I promise you that as frustrated as you are with them, they're more frustrated with themselves. I promise you that as much as you like are at the end of your wits, they hate themselves more. And what they need right now more than anything is a massive dose of compassion and understanding for you to take the pressure off so that they can really learn the things that they need to learn in order to truly make the changes that are right and they need to make in their life. And it is possible. It is not only possible, but with the right tools, the right information, it is probable. It can happen. I've seen it happen thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Um, and it's incredible to watch. And not only in my journey, but now for thousands of other people. So I hope that this helps. I hope it helps make sense. Please let me know if you have any questions. And if you're curious about our intensive, we're actually kicking off October 1st. Um, so I put the link in the chat if that's something uh, that you know somebody who would really benefit from. All right. Have a great day. Did you miss this Naked Mind Live? And do you maybe have a little bit of FOMO? But don't worry, I've got you covered. In fact, I had the entire event professionally recorded and it's available digitally. Transformation in your living room. Yep, that is what it's all about. You can grab your digital ticket at thisnakedmind.com forward slash digital ticket. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.